This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE website. Let's turn to the next question in our agenda. Um, and I'm going to ask Judge Hennessy to address this first question. Can a juvenile call his father as a witness? Uh, there is a rule that a parent uh, cannot be made to testify against their child. But what if the child wants to call the parent as a witness? Um, how does the rule apply in that case, Judge Hennessy? So the child can call a parent to testify on his behalf for him. The Commonwealth cannot call the parent against the child. So the case that um, I'm referencing is Commonwealth v. Vigiani. And I know, I think, Jay, you said you provided um, sites to, to everyone. Uh, so, so it's a, an interesting case. It addresses um, the, the chapter. Chapter um, 233, Section 20 of um, the Mass General Laws, it, it's a section that lays out who can testify about what, essentially, and um, limitations uh, there, too. And what this um, particular case pertains to is uh, Chapter 233, Section 20 in, uh, in the fourth um, paragraph, which applies to testimony of a parent um, against a minor child. And one thing I think about that's an interesting thing to think about is what if the child, uh, so, so it only applies to minor children. Um, and I just think about like a kid that turns, you know, that's turning 18 imminently or turns 18 by the time you uh, wanna file the motion. Um, but what happened in this case is a typical juvenile court scenario on a motion to suppress statements where the kid goes to the MBTA police with his mom, you know, the, the mom is the interested adult with which he, with whom he confers. And um, when it comes time to have the, the motion to suppress, he wants to call his mother to testify about what all went on um, on his behalf. And the prosecutor tried to foreclose that by saying, by invoking 233.20, the fourth section saying, well, because uh, what the section says is that the minor child um, or the parent or minor child can't testify against each other in any criminal delinquency or um, youthful offender proceeding where the victim is not a family member or does not reside in the household. So those are the specifics of the section that we're talking about. And so what the, the prosecutor did was say, well, you know, this disqualifies. As, as I, I don't mean to be like pedantic, but as everyone knows, a privilege is something that can be waived. A privilege is attached to the privilege holder. That person can waive. But a disqualification is different. It's non-waivable. And so what the prosecutor did was try to foreclose uh, the, the, the child from being able to call the mother um, who would have given testimony, um, favorable testimony at the motion to suppress. So um, ultimately, the question is reported. And um, what the SJC says is they, they do one of the, their, you know, they have to look at the plain meaning of the, the words in the statute. Basically, it's a review de novo because it's a question of statutory interpretation. And so they have this whole conversation about 
um, the word against and what does against mean. And uh, what they what they really come down to is the whole legislative intent behind 233-24 is to preserve the sanctity of the relationship between a child and a parent. And that's really the spirit behind the statute. And that um, what the majority says is that it, it makes no sense that the legislature would on the one hand want to protect that relationship between parents and children. And then on the other hand say, well, a parent who has favorable uh, evidence to offer on behalf of their child has to remain silent. Um, so in a situation for a juvenile where in a motion to suppress, you could potentially, that's in, in this particular instance, I believe the evidence that they have primarily came from his statements, he made incriminating statements ultimately. And so this would have required the parent to stay mum about um, all this positive information that could have been dispositive um, of the criminal matter that her son was facing. And so how the majority came down was that this is, um, yes, indeed, a non-waivable disqualification. However, it applies only when that person is being called to give evidence against. And so there's some discourse there about, well, you think, <laughs> you think it's going to be positive, right? But you don't know what's going to happen on cross-examination. And so the, I think that... Um, I think it's in the dissent. Uh, there's some conversation around um, just the fact that you can't you can't know uh, how that cross examination is going to go, so you open yourself up to that. But you have the advice of counsel um, in making the determination whether or not to call your client's parent in the first place. So it's an interesting case. It's something that comes up a lot for us. Um, I do want to emphasize that it applies to minor um, children. Obviously, in, in Miranda scenarios. Um, if a person's over 18, it's not um, going to be relevant. So, um, Judge uh, Rodriguez, uh, can you sentence a judge? Uh, I mean, can you sentence a juvenile to probation with the condition that he comply with all requirements of DYS conditions of liberty? I'm hoping I'm not sentencing a judge. But as far as the juvenile is concerned, sorry, that, that was just Freudian of mine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so that case is uh, Quigley Q. And in Quigley Q, um, that was also released last year. Um, basically, in this particular case, um, there was a juvenile who was on probation, and um, what we like to call Austin is runners. He was um, in a D, uh, I think it was a DYS. He was in a foster home in which he was placed by DYS. And he had left that foster home for five days without explanation. A notice of violation was issued because the probation officer said that he had changed his residence. Um, and what the judge did was not find him in violation, but added an additional condition, which said that um, he had to comply with the DYS requirements and conditions of liberty. And what the um, court said, the appeals court actually was the deciding court in this particular case, said that you can't, or a judge couldn't do that. And the reason for that um, is because number one, it's very, not very specific as far as what those DYS requirements are or conditions of liberty. And it also made mention that um, it says the condition that the juvenile comply with the DYS requirement and conditions of liberty or were not detailed or um, described specific conditions in that um, 
though the conditions of liberty appear, or though the conditions of liberty appear to be terms of art, no such conditions were presented at the hearing, nor were any reported before us. Um, and noted that the DYS has the power, in this particular case, would have the power to modify those conditions of liberty at any time. And so um, the reason why the judge wasn't able to, or make such a ruling so vague, is because the DYS, um, DYS would have the ability to modify any of those conditions and the court or a judge can't delegate either to probation or an executive branch the authority to set conditions of probation. So what that all means is that our, as far as um, judges are concerned or even um, uh, advocates for juveniles is to make sure that our rulings with regards to conditions are fact specific. And so in this particular case, the uh, judge or the appeals court recognized that the judge in that particular case just wanted the um, juvenile not to run and obviously um, could have imposed conditions that he remain at the facility would have been something that would have been beneficial. But because of the fact that it was so vague that DYS had the discretion to set conditions or even modify conditions, then that was a delegation on the judicial part to the executive part, which we're not allowed to do. So it was reversed, and um, they were looking for some more specific uh, conditions to be set in place. This has been an issue in the federal court when uh, judges have put someone on probation and not given specific conditions. For example, uh, he may have random drug screens. Well, can he get drug screens twice a day? Uh, they want to have more specificity. and. Um, the judges now are very specific in their conditions. For example, a person uh, can be randomly tested for drugs uh, no more than once a week for the next 52 weeks. 